Hello everybody and welcome to another interview with a data scientist. My name is Richard Carter and I'm a data scientist here at the Data Lab in Scotland and today it's my great pleasure to be joined by an old colleague of mine, Roman Popper. Hi Richard. Hi Roman. Uh, Roman is data scientist and co-founder of DeepMiner and we'll get on to talk about what he's been doing in the last year with the new company that he's set up there. But before we get on to that, Roman, I'd be very interested for you and the listeners to find out a bit more about um, your background. So if you could tell us, please, uh, how did you get into data science? Yeah, no problem. So uh, so I've been a data scientist for about two and a half years. Um, and before that, I was doing research in biology. And so specifically, I was uh, studying bacteria and um, studying the way that they communicate between cells. So individual cells of bacteria um, sending little chemical messages to each other. And we were really trying to ask things like, well, what are they saying? Um, what function do these signals uh, that they produce and detect serve? Um, and so doing, so that involved um, some amount of lab work actually. So about 50% wet lab work, sitting at the bench pipetting away. Um, and the rest of the time, we were um, at our computers, analysing the data from, from those experiments. So when you say communicating, it was a surprise to me and maybe to others that bacteria actually do communicate. What, what kind of form does this communication take and, and what kind of uh, messages are they giving each other? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, so, 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 they, so they're small diffusible signal molecules. So they're kind of like pheromones, a bit like you might have in insects or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, as to what they're saying, you know, this was really, uh, this was really the whole point of, of all of the research. And I don't want to say it's, it's unresolved, but I think there's still room for maneuver in, uh, in, in what they're actually doing with these signal molecules. One of the prevailing views was that um, uh, the concentration of the molecules that they produced allowed them to somehow estimate the population size that, that they're in, okay? So if you imagine you're a bacterial cell, you don't have eyes, you can't look around and see what's around you. So you need other sensory ways to, to find out what's around you. And in this case, importantly, who's around you as well, okay? Um, so we had um, a, a series of genetic and chemical ways of manipulating the organisms and the experiments um, to to uh, perturb that and try and find out whether um, uh, that they would they could still do what they were they were doing. Um, so that's kind of what we were what we were trying to do there. Fascinating. Yeah. And so I would imagine out of all this uh, wet lab work that you've got um, a lot of statistical analysis uh, on the results of that that you that you then perform. Yeah, exactly. And and you know it's. It, Biology is amazing at the minute because uh, it's it's really a series of, of machines that are spitting out reams and reams of data, right? So if you think about the sort of genetic revolution in, in biology and um, and all throughout lab biology, um, you know, it's becoming more and more uh, automated uh, in, in terms of the data collection. Um, so, uh, so the beauty of that is you you then uh, you then get to uh, go go away and learn statistics, uh, and but not just statistics, but also ways of handling a lot of data, um, and ways of thinking about analyzing data, testing hypotheses, and interfacing the world of your experimental data 
um, with the world of theoretical biology and, and trying to match up which hypotheses make, make the most sense. Um, and so, you know, biology, the, the advances in, in lab biology um, get to um, sing in concert really nicely with the advances in the kind of data science and computational statistics. And so that, for me, was the sort of meeting point of, of, of those worlds. Sure. So I know from experience of working with you that you're very keen on uh, the usage of R. Is there any particular reason why you use R? Well, it's, it's funny, you know, we, so, um, so, so when I first uh, started using R in, in, in biology uh, uh, undergrad, um, we, it was sort of forced down our necks a little bit, and it was pretty awful, actually, uh, as an experience. Um, and as the years have gone by, um, the sort of tooling around R has just gotten slicker and slicker, and, and so I, I use it primarily because I grew up with it. Um, but what I've found is that um, there, there really is just a huge amount you can do now with it. Uh, so I, I haven't had to um, step out of my kind of uh, language comfort zone, if you like. But, um, um, but you know, b between R and Python, um, I, I think there's, there's not much in it in terms of what you can do with those tools and uh, being able to use the latest data science things. That's right. And there's always uh, plenty of new packages coming out for R so that any time you might spend learning Python or any other tool you can, you can spend to upskill and improve in, in R anyway, can't you? Yeah. So you said you've been doing data science for two and a half years. Clearly, when you were doing your uh, postgraduate research there, you were working on your own. But I know from when you were here at the data lab, you were working more in a consultancy style. Uh, what uh, what are your opinions on how the differences are between working as a data scientist when you're working on a single problem versus working with a multitude of people with different problems? Yeah. Yeah, so... so uh so you know, Richard, that I worked here and had, had the great pleasure of working with you and, and all the colleagues here in, in the data lab. Um, and, and that was super, super fun because um, the nice thing, the, the thing, one of the things I really enjoyed about that was the ability or, or the opportunity to work with lots of different clients in lots of different contexts, in lots of different projects um, using a variety of approaches. Um, and that's fun because it keeps you on your toes and... Um, and you never get bored. Um, but it's also really tricky because you're always the analyst and never the subject matter expert, okay? Um, and, and I think this is, uh, you know, I, I, spend, I spend time thinking about this because I think it's with this wave of data science, I think it's something we really got to pay attention to and I think it's a, a thing that a lot of people highlight is that need to um, really embed the expert knowledge into anything you're doing in data science. Um, so, so if you're thinking of becoming a data scientist, um, do it, you're going to have a great time, and just give some thought into um, whether you're going to be an embedded data scientist um, in an organization or in a team and you stay there, and or whether you're going to be a sort of roaming data scientist that works on lots of different problems. Um, in, in both cases, you're, you're going to come up against this thing of at least initially not being, uh, not being the expert. So, um, and, and, that, and I, th I think all that really means, I, I don't have the answers, so I, I don't know what, what, the, what the best way to do it is, but my, my, you know, the way I, I treat it um, is to just be really cautious 
uh, and be constantly checking in with someone who knows, is this the right way to treat the data? Have I made the right assumptions about where I'm doing my analysis? And when it comes to results, um, you know, does this make sense? Uh, you already have a great amount of knowledge and intuition in, in this particular system that we're trying to study. Um, do these results make sense? Um, so I think, uh, you know, I think that's, that's all I, 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 can, I can say on that. But it is, I think it is an interesting area. And as we train more and more people specifically in just data science, um, this thing is going to become more and more important. I remember from personal experience of my uh, earlier career working in finance, I was once told we, as a quantitative analyst, it, there's a difference between becoming a specialist and a generalist in that there's certain areas in finance which you can really specialise in, but there's a lot of tools and mathematics and programming knowledge that if you gain that, you can then transfer across. And I, I'm imagining that for most people, it's this trade. Uh, it, it's down to a personal preference of whether they enjoy the variety of working on different things or really want to dig deep and actually get to know one area very, very well. Yeah, com completely. And, you know, as, as well as the subject matter um, stuff, you know, you've got the, the depth of the approach, let's, let's call it as well, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have two weeks um, to try and execute a, a project and, and extract some value from a data set, um, well, you're going to do that in a very different way compared to if you have two years. Um, so I think that's something as well for um, new data scientists to, to bear in mind is, um, you know, are, are you happy skipping around from problem to problem or is that going to frustrate you? Um, so yeah. that's something to, to think about. That's right. And when you're working on uh, particular on consultancy projects, when there's timescales and you've got to deliver by certain dates, it really can uh, limit how many different kinds of techniques you can look at and what kind of level of depth you can go into. I just wonder on that, when you're working on consultancy projects, um, how you take your lead on this issue of complexity versus interpretability? Do you take that from the clients or um, do you have a, your own <coughs> personal opinions on that? Yeah, so I, so I, so you know, Richard, I love, I love talking about this issue. Um, I, I think it's one of the one of the really big things in you know lots of our data scientist colleagues, um, you know, will will think about this as well, um, and and that's that you know at, at one end of the scale. Um, you've got a set of modeling approaches that are extremely powerful and perhaps a bit more computationally um, uh, you know, harder or, or, or they require more computational power, um, but they're quite black box. Uh, so in other words, it's quite hard to then get an interpretation of, uh, of, of why that model is doing what it's doing. You know, at the very other end of the scale, you've got the, the, you know, the simple statistical modeling um, that you can interpret, um, you know, absolutely. Um, so, and, and, and there seems to be, and, and you know, I, I think up until now, there's still this pretty strong trade-off between those, those two ends of the scale. Um, but... What I find exciting, and again, you know, this isn't, I don't have the answers on, on this topic, but I find it really interesting and really exciting is that I think that will start to change. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, what, what I've seen in, in a couple of different places is people ex explicitly trying to tackle that, that trade-off. Um, and so to, to, give a, to give a kind of um, silly example, um, there, was, there was a group and Apologies, because I don't remember the, the, the source of this now, but it's something I, I, I read or heard on another podcast. Um, but it was a group, th things seem to uh, start with computer games in, mm -hmm. in data science often. Um, and so this group was um, studying people playing a computer game, mm -hmm. and they had built a modeling approach to learn 
um, for for uh, models to learn the moves to make in, in this c- computer game. But the subjects playing the computer game were also encouraged to vocalize as, as they were playing. So, for example, they might say, uh, oh, no, there's an enemy, you know, turning the corner now or <laughs> evading the enemy or firing or, or whatever it is. Um, and so what they then did was they had a secondary set of models that were learning how to annotate a given move in the game with the vocalizations that the users were, were making. Um, and, so, uh, and, and so in a roundabout way, that's trying to get at using a really powerful black box modeling approach, but trying to unpack why the model has made the decision that it's made. Okay. Mm. Um, so, so I'm thinking, I, I obviously, as you know, play quite a bit of chess and if uh, such a system was to be trained on chess then a player making a move might, for example, say uh, my opponent has a weak pawn on a7 therefore I'm going to move my rook onto to that rank and, and attack the pawn. So it's this kind of annotations then which can be used in conjunction with the primary system to actually give people an understanding of why the computer's doing what it's doing. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. So, so there you can replace the game with something else, right? Mm-hmm. But you can also um, you could also replace the the, the the context with something else altogether, right? And so, you know, I, I don't particularly care about computer games, mm-hmm. um, but where I think this will become really interesting and really relevant is um, if you think about um, something like the the uh, financial services industry, right? Mm-hmm. Now, um, in a, in an industry like that where you've got quite Tight regulations on audits and um, you know how you know so so for example if you imagine um, an auditor asking uh, asking an insurance company well how did you uh, make that pricing decision or how did you uh, make you know that underwriting decision um, you know obviously more and more that's being done with the assistance of models um, but the requirement there will be to have a really really clear um, uh, audit trail of how that decision was made. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that in that kind of a context, you can't really use a black box approach. No. It's not going to work. Um, so it's that sort of uh, world. And you know, think in the legal world, in the medical world, um, you know, in in government. You know, it's it's those contexts where um, I think this sort of research will start to help um, or start to open up. Um, realistic possibility for using those kinds of approaches in, uh, in, in, in those contexts. Um, so something to watch and certainly something I'm paying attention to in the, uh, on, on the data science front to see Absolutely. what comes yeah. yeah, well that's right because for all of uh, the benefits of deep learning, this idea of trying to understand and interpret the weights inside some kind of neural network is, is, is beyond us at the moment. So it would be an amazing breakthrough if there were people out there who are working to actually bring some kind of interpretability to these uh, highly accurate models. That would, that would be fascinating. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, and I know you've been in Scotland for uh, at least uh, seven years now, including your uh, postdoctoral work. Uh, you're highly involved on the tech and data science scene in Scotland. How, how have you found it uh, since you've made this your home? Yeah, I, so, so that's a great question because... Um, you know, one of the things I, I love about Scotland, um, as well as obviously the, the, the beauty and, and the whiskey and, and all the rest of it, but, um, you know, there, there's a really, really fantastic um, scene here and, and buzz around around the data science. Um, and, you know, it's, it's obviously it's down to 
things like the data lab, you know, I think the data lab's done an amazing job of, of, of raising the profile and getting some amazing projects done here to, um, in, in Scotland to, to kind of push that out. Um, um, and, and, and there's a bunch of things like that, right? So, um, you know, you've got Scottish Enterprise doing a, a bunch of really good, good, good work and supporting companies trying to come here, set up teams here. Um, you've got a, a network of universities um, that punches its way globally, um, you know. So, so we've got that with a, with a, with across the board a really strong um, computer science and informatics tradition. Um, uh, you know, you've you've got um, in, in, you've got industry here that that punches above its weight, you know. And it's not just uh, you know we could we could talk about. Um, biomedical, we could talk about financial, we could talk about energy, um, but, but actually it's the tech scene and the startups and, and everything else like that as well. So I think for a really small place, um, you know, you've just got this absolutely disproportionate community and, and buzz around, around the field. So um, yeah, I, I, you can probably tell I like, I like it. <laughs> well, me too. And, and I think this kind of size, the scale is a very interesting point, isn't it? Because um, it's small, but it's not too small. It's big. It's big enough. There's lots of varieties, lots of different industries, as you say. Mm-hmm. But yet, actually, it still has this village feel, um, that, and people can get to know each other and and really get to interact with different people quite easily in Scotland. Yeah, it's very good from that point of view. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it would be remiss of me not to say now, because obviously you left uh, the data lab uh, about uh, a year ago now to go and set up your own company. Uh, I've not had a chance to speak to you much since you did that, so I and hopefully the listeners will be really interested to know uh, how that journey is now that you've gone to found your own data science company, DeepMiner. Yeah, that that's right, and and so and so absolutely. So so the most recent project that I've been beavering away on is uh, is a company called DeepMiner, as you say, um, and we've uh, just recently emerged out of the CivTech accelerator. Um, and so, 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 what is CivTech for people who are not familiar with CivTech? Yeah, so so CivTech, um, you know, again, in, in you know, one one of the many many amazing. Um, Things you can find in in Scotland in in the tech scene in the data science scene. Um, so so CivTech, um, and I hope I get this get this right for the for the people at CivTech because um, they do I think they do a really great job of what they do and, and this this would be a good test for me to see whether I understood the vision. <laughs> um, but so so there's a couple of problems being solved simultaneously. So um, so public sector, um, public sector procurement, um, I think finds it very difficult to access small innovative SMEs because the process is quite onerous um, and quite bureaucratic so um, uh, you know I think it's safe to say it disfavors um, the, the small nimble startups that are playing with the brand new technologies um, and then on you know on the flip side of that you've got um, uh, uh, this world of, of Scottish SMEs that really are pushing the boundaries of technology um, that that need to um, you know that need to get business um, and that need to climb the, the ladder of clients and so Civtech is kind of solving both sides of that equation simultaneously. So what they have is um, a, a process that you go through um, that so it starts with um, a public sector organisation can pose a challenge. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the starting point. Um, SMEs can apply to try and solve that challenge. And then there's a bit of matchmaking process. And, and when that matchmaking is done, the um, challenge sponsor and the chosen company 
um, will go through an accelerator program um, where um, the idea is that a business is established. So we got tons of coaching on um, you know how to set up a business, everything from legal, financial, marketing, you know, right the way through. Because that's really important. Because for a lot of people, they'll be very skilled technically, but maybe don't have the experience of uh, the management and, and the kind of administrative side of starting up and building a business. C- completely, completely, and and that and that's something that you know Zibtech has has spotted and and and, and has provisioned for. Um, so then, and then the point is that at the end of that accelerator, you will come out with an MVP, pro, you know, minimum viable product or an alpha product or a proof of concept um, that you can then go away and, and, and solve the problem. So um, what is the actual challenge then that uh, you've taken on with DeepMiner? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so we responded to a challenge posed um, by Scottish Enterprise. Um, and the challenge um, originally was phrased something like, um, how, does, how do we make the best use of data um, to tell positive stories about Scotland globally? Okay. Um, but when we started um, digging around and, and with Scottish Enterprise doing the exploration of, of this problem, um, we very quickly realised that actually um, what Scottish Enterprise were trying to do um, was to drive foreign investment in, into Scotland. Okay? Um, so Scottish Enterprise have people posted around the world globally um, to say to companies, hey look, you're expanding internationally, come and base a team here, come and set up a, a tech team or a data science team here or, or whatever it is. Um, and so we realised that um, that uniquely for, for public sector, or not uniquely, but unusually for public sector, that Scottish Enterprise had a sales force okay. and, was, and, and was acting, you know, was, was basically uh, had a sales function. Mm-hmm. So, so we said, okay, how can we support that sales function, that sort of tip of the spear? So, so the person going out with a product to sell, in this case, Scotland, mm-hmm. and, and saying, once I have this product to sell, um, who, first of all, who do I go to? Mm-hmm. And once I know who I'm going to approach, how do I approach them? Okay, and those are the two core problems that DeepMiner is, is, is trying to solve. So that I'm clear, is this then for businesses that are looking to sell into Scotland or is this for Scottish businesses looking to sell outwards or, or can, it, can the system handle either? Yeah, great, great question. So, so the system um, is just a general system for any, scenario, for any sales scenario. Okay, um, but specifically in the first instance, um, we're focusing on on the on the on the sales context that Scottish enterprise have. But the idea is that the system will be will be a, a general one that any sales force could adopt, um, and that will help in in their sales sales projects. Okay, great. So, what stage are you at now um, with uh, with the pro- with the product? Have you built a, uh, an MVP yet? We we do, yeah, we do, and and I should describe a little bit what the solution consists of. So. Um, so the idea behind it is, you know, go, so I've told you the concept is, um, so if you go one layer below that, what we actually do is we go out and DeepMiner goes out and collects um, news articles, blogs, um, text from company websites, um, and all that sort of stuff that we, you know, we like to call it dark data, right? So that's data that's information rich, but really hard to analyze because it's not in nice neat tables and databases and all the rest of it. So, um, so we do, so that's job one. We, we try and do the, the hard job of what wading into the swamp, mm-hmm. as I like to say, and, uh, and, and collecting the, those bits of dark data. The second job we then have is 
to pull out of that something that is um, the bits of information that that matter to um, salesperson, you know. So um, so we'll go and fish out um, uh, individuals, um, companies, um, and places that are relevant to your sales project um, and, and feed those back to you. And then users will, and, and, and a bit of contextual information that will help you understand why we're making this suggestion to you. So for example, if I'm trying to sell some kind of mechanical parts and I want to sell them into Japan, I could then come to you with your system, you could take that information on board and then you could help me to find out which kind of companies and also which personnel within those companies I'd be most uh, likely to be able to make connections with. Exactly, exactly. So of, of the sea of data we've collected, um, you know, your, your, your mechanical um, piece that you're, that you're trying to sell, you know, who, who is likely to buy that? Um, and, and that's a that's a really tough problem, um, but you know we we think we have we have an approach that that could uh, that could start to work, and then you know the the, the second half of, of all of that is so so once you've got that once I've told once once I've made a suggestion of someone to go and approach and maybe this person wants to buy what you're selling, um, how do you then approach that person? And again, what we what we learned in in the discovery for for this problem was that salespeople want to be armed with credible information. They want to uh, they want to be trusted, um, and and so rather than going into a sales meeting and saying, you know, hi, I'm selling this, you know, who are you and what do you do, um, it would be hi, you know, we're selling this. Um, we've heard your organization is expanding here and in need of this product or, or whatever it may be, um, and you know we think it fits for, for these reasons. That's a much much stronger um, entry than uh, to to a, to a sale than um, than, a, than a generic one. Um, so that's the kind of information that we're trying to arm salespeople with. Um, and what, what are your timescales now then with the work that you're doing with Scottish Enterprise uh, versus when you can then presumably after you've completed this challenge with Scottish Enterprise, then you'll have a product which you can then sell commercially. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, again, hats off to the to the CivTech program for this, but they really do encourage the, the simultaneous um, solving the problem of, of, that the challenge sponsor has, but also carving out of that a, a product that can live in, 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 in the world on its own. Um, and so we are looking to um, have, we're, we're at Alpha now, um, you know, we're heads down continuing developing the product and, and trying to secure further funding. Um, we're hoping to have a sort of beta launch, um, you know, about halfway through 2018. Um, and then, you know, fingers crossed, sky's the limit after that. Um, you know, what we, what we do understand um, uh, in, in this world is that the, uh, the, there's a, there is a huge market for, for what we're doing. Um, so, you know, if you look at the amount of money that organizations spend on tools like CRM um, and, and BI, uh, so business intelligence tool, tools, um, it's, it's huge and, and the market is global. So, um, you know, we, we're really hoping we can, uh, we can go to town on this one. Yeah, it sounds, <laughs> sounds fascinating, actually, and it's taking the data and actually making it into very usable uh, information for people. So it, it sounds fascinating. Just before we wrap up, because we are running a bit short of time, uh, I would also just like to throw in one last question about how you find it now from going from the environment of being an employee into starting and founding your own company. It's something that I'm sure many people uh, often think about doing, but not as many as brave as you've been to take that plunge. So how have you found that over the last year? 
Yeah, it's been it's been great. Um, it's been absolutely great. I mean, you know, someone someone said to me recently, um, you know, welcome to life in the canoe. <laughs> <laughs> and it really, you know, it really does feel like that some days. Um, but no, it's it's absolutely brilliant, you know. And 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 like I said, you know, I refer back to to my earlier point that Scotland is a place where you can kind of safely do that at the moment, you know. And with data science, um, there's just no shortage of demand for it. So um, we were pretty confident going into it that we'd be able to play around and uh, do do things and find a niche. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it's startup life and and all the fun that comes with that. Um, but uh, but it's just such an it's such an exciting place to be doing that, um, and and the opportunities are, really are there. So oh, it's so good to it's good to see it hasn't wiped the smile off your face. <laughs> anyway. So uh, no, I'm, I'm very pleased with you. It sounds like it's going really well. And uh, thanks ever so much for coming in today, Roman, and, and sharing that with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Richard. No problem at all. So that's the end uh, of this interview with Roman Popat, uh, data scientist and co-founder at DeepMiner. Uh, thanks very much for tuning in. Please to check out more information on the data science scene in Scotland. Go to www.thedatalab.com and I'll be back very shortly with another interview. Thanks very much for listening. Bye for now.